Oh, thank you, Jared, and the band. I'll tell you what, it is definitely different being back live with the band. You can feel um, the spirit flowing through them as they're, they're praising God through their music. Um, get my computer going here. And notes. Um, before we get into today's talk, I, I wanted to pose a question to you. And the question is, what do you think is wrong with the world today? The fill in the blank would be, if we fix blank, this, then the world will be right. Is, is, if there was anything you could fix, could make right, could make even disappear, what would that be? If there just wasn't this one thing in this world, everything would be okay. It could be something like, Poverty, lack of educational opportunity, government, the, this COVID-19 uh, pandemic, or it could be something closer to you, a, a health problem, a difficult boss or parent or brother or sister, maybe simply weeds in your garden or, or just bad breath. Write this thing down or, or take a moment to share it with those who are around you right now. I'll give you all a minute to consider this question. What is wrong with the world today and your answer? So as you can see, as you were talking about this and giving that answer to each other or writing it down, uh, there are many answers that we could come up with for this question. In our culture, there are never-ending answers to this question of what is wrong with the world and, of course, many like solutions. Those who consider material possessions and physical comfort as ultimate see what is wrong with the world as denying anything that could bring someone comfort. Those who consider humans naturally good and full of good potential think that what is wrong with the world is willful attitudes or actions that, that hurt others. So they seek to eliminate conditions or at least improve conditions that cause people to hurt others so they can act out of their natural goodness. Those who consider progress as ultimate, as everything must be evolving into better and better things, see what is wrong with the world as anything that hinders the potential to change things in a better way. Those who consider a person's mind as the ultimate determiner of right and wrong see what is wrong with the world as denying one's feelings, that low self-esteem is the reason for wrong and can be remedied by acceptance of love of oneself. Now, now there's actually some truth in each of these approaches to what is wrong with the world. But the problem is they all compete with each other as the answer to what is wrong with the world. Some even go as far as to label these proposals of what is wrong with the world as sin, a theological God-level wrong. So if the world thought, without thinking of God at all, can call what is wrong with the world sin, then there must be an overarching, transcendent, otherworldly answer to what is wrong with the world. And that must come from a transcendent source, something outside of us. Something and our tendency to look at problems in the world through only one lens. There's a story often told of a newspaper back in the early 1900s asking several prominent thinkers and leaders to answer this question of what is wrong with the world. The newspaper wanted each person to write an opinion to the answer to the question of what is wrong with the world today. One of those great thinkers was G.K. Chesterton, whose answer back to the newspaper was simply, Dear Sir, I am G.K. Chesterton. 
Now, now we don't have the actual newspaper to prove that Chesterton wrote this, but it is right in line with his thinking from from his other writings. So what he is saying is it's not really conditions outside ourselves that is wrong with the world, but actually you and I are what is wrong with this world. You and I are living are the living definition of sin, of what is wrong. Which brings us to the question today, what is sin? And of course, the answer that, that our New City 2020 gives us is, sin is rejecting or ignoring God and the world He created, rebelling against Him by living without reference to Him, not being or doing, anything, or doing what He requires in His law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. So, so we could say what is wrong with the world is us rejecting and or ignoring God and the world he created. What is wrong with the world is us rebelling against God by living out of reference to him. What is wrong with the world is us not being or doing what God requires in his law. What is wrong with the world is us bringing death and destruction of creation. What is wrong with the world is simply sin and that sin is us. As John 1, 3 as 1 John 3, 4 writes to the early church and to us, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And to make it even more clear, Brother Eugene puts it this way, all who indulge in the sinful life are dangerously lawless, for sin is a major disruption of God's order. And we know all of us have sinned and are born into sin, as we've seen up to this point in the New City 2020 study. So all of us, because of our sin, are a major disruption to God's order. We, our sin, is what is wrong with the world. But some of you must be thinking, or some out there must be thinking, I make mistakes, but but a mistake isn't sin, is it? I know I sin, but I don't break all the rules, so I can't be held held accountable for the destruction of creation. I know I sin, but, but Jesus died for my sin, so it's really not bad now to sin. How about, I know I sin, but most of the time, nobody ever saw. And my sin didn't hurt anybody or or cause anyone's death. I know I sin, but I have a good heart. I do some things right, so so God must be weighing my good along with with my sin. Or, I know I sin, but if I didn't, I wouldn't get to do any of the fun stuff. I know I sin, but the stuff God calls sin is stuff that everyone else is doing, so it can't be that wrong. You see, you see, sin is much more than just one thing. It's almost like a multifaceted gem. Sin expresses itself in a myriad of ways. In fact, there are hundreds of metaphors, of images of sin in Scripture. We can even look at one, just one simple story at the beginning of Scripture to begin to see sin in its multiple faces. In Scripture up to Genesis 4, there was written only one occurrence of sin by, uh, that was committed by Adam and Eve and the serpent all committing sin by conspiring and eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It would seem just by this this one story, sin is only a simple disobedience or rejection of God's one command, but it is much, much more than that as we can see play out in Genesis 4, if you'll read along with me. Now Adam knew knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought to the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. 
So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Let's pause right there in the story. There is evidently something that makes Abel's offering righteous, the right way, an offering that hits the mark of what God expects in an offering of thanks. And there's evidently something about Cain's offering that makes it so unacceptable to God, so way off the mark, that God rejects Cain's offering of thanks. The key is Cain's response. Cain was very angry and his face fell. Why? The answer is sin. Abel evidently had listened to God's instruction for an acceptable offering, while Cain's inattention let him bring an unacceptable offering. Abel understood God as the source of his abundance. So he brought the first and the best, while Cain misunderstood or, or maybe just discounted God's power in producing his crop. So he just brought some produce. Nothing really in particular. Nothing special. Anything will do. It is just going to be lost food. Sin, as we see, is a lack of proper attention to God's commands. Righteousness for Abel, sin for Cain. And that we do not know Abel's response to God accepting his offering, we can assume he was humbly grateful, knowing that God is one who judges acceptability, not Abel himself. Cain, on the other hand, thinks he knows better than God. Cain judges his offering as good enough and is angry that God's standard is different than his own. Cain is angry because his idea is inferior to God's idea for, of a good offering. He takes this rejection as an injustice on God's part. And in this, sin is an ignorance of God's wisdom. And then what does Cain's face express? Discontent. His face fell. God is actually helping Cain by showing him his offering is less than, but Cain takes it as a personal rejection. Like he couldn't do anything right, ever. Even though God didn't say he couldn't ever bring a right offering, just that this one is not good enough. So Cain sulks. He is in sin, showing distrust of God's advice, thinking God is always going to reject whatever he brings, which is not true. Therefore, we see sin is distrust of God's justice. And we continue the story in verses 5, excuse me, 6 and 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. It is, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at the door. Sin is not something that comes and goes, but it's right there, ready to pounce on its opportunity. Sin's desire is contrary to you, meaning it wants to destroy you. It never wants you to prosper, but it does not have complete control over you. You must rule over it, God says, meaning it is absolutely possible to do what is right and receive a blessing. As G.K. Chesterton rightly concludes, what is wrong is that we do not ask what is right. Sin's desire is to steer us wrong, away from the right, and into trouble. God's statements to Cain show us sin is trouble, the opposite of blessings. Furthermore, sin is waiting for you to choose its way. And if you don't address it, sin will lead you to believe the mark you're aiming at is the right mark, but in reality, sin is missing the mark of God's will altogether. To rule over, sins mean, to rule over sin means you willfully turn 
from looking at worthless things, the wrong marks, and look to heavenly things, God's marks, His intentions. As Augustine confesses, the eyes are in love with beautiful and varied shapes, with bright and pleasant colors, but these must, must not possess my soul. God instead must possess it, as He has made all things, which are in fact very good, but He Himself is my good, and they aren't. So let's continue to see sin in the story. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Cain had words with his brother, probably unkind words. Cain feels the injustice and rejection served by him by God accepting Abel's offering, but not his own, excuse me, is, but is not his own worthy of arguing with his brother about. Cain is agitated by God's decision, so he wants to bring this agitation into his brother's relationship. Cain is not his peace, so he wants to destroy the peace of his brotherhood with Abel. Sin, then, is disrupting relationships with God, with others, and with creation. And this disruptive relationship leads Cain to finding the solution to this unrest by simply eliminating the need for a proper relationship with his brother Abel. Cain kills Abel. No brother, no disruptive relationship, right? And there we clearly see that sin is evil masking as good. Evil makes something this wrong seem good. Evil makes sin seem makes sin the solution to the problem. Evil leads to thinking that might makes right. Sin is evil, and not only that, but God asks, where is Abel? Where is your brother? Cain deflects this by asking his own question. Am I my brother's keeper? And now we clearly see how sin is a distortion of God's generosity. Cain doesn't even hear God's question and his generous intent. Sin wants to twist God's good question A question giving opportunity for confession and repentance into something else, an accusation, when it is not. When wrongly Cain sees everything God says as cruelty towards him. The poet Wyman tells us how much cruelty is occasioned simply because of the noise that is within us. The sin is too great to realize exactly what we are doing to others or what is being done to others in our name. Let's continue the story. Verses 11 and on. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer give you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. The ground will no longer give Cain what it's supposed to, good fruit. Cain has crossed a line by spilling his brother's blood into the ground instead of the seeds he was supposed to plant. Cain has lost his vocation, his calling given to him by God because he used the ground for something other than what God intended, the hiding of his dead brother's blood. 
Instead of using the ground for bringing glory to God through wonderful crops, Cain transgressed its use by hiding his failure in it. So in this, we see sin is a misuse of God's purposes. Cain must now wander the earth without a purpose. As N.T. Wright tells us, in the story the Bible is telling, humans were created for a purpose. And that purpose was not simply to keep the rules or to be with God or to go to heaven. Humans were made to be image bearers, to reflect the praises of creation back to the Creator and to reflect the Creator's excuse me, wise and loving stewardship into the world. We are created in order to reflect the worship of all creation back to the Creator, and by that same means reflect the wise sovereignty of the Creator into the world. Human beings worshiping the Creator were thus the intended key to proper flourishing in the world. And Cain's punishment is he no longer gets to do this. And his other punishment is a mark. And what this mark is, we, we don't know, it's not, but it's probably not like a, a mark used to identify property, to, to show who owns something, like maybe a brand or a scar of the sort. A mark like the one on a farm animal or, or any property telling everyone else, you cannot touch it, this thing, because it's not yours, it belongs to someone else. This mark on Cain tells the world he has lost his freedom. He is owned by his sin. Sin will determine his life and death now, not anyone else. And in this, we see sin is slavery to death rather than freedom to live. Again, N.T. Wright informs us, sin is the missing of the mark of genuine humanness through failure to worship. Sin is not just bad in itself. It's the telltale symptom of a deeper problem. The problem is humans were made for a particular vocation, which they have rejected, and that this rejection involves turning away from God. This leads to slavery, which is ultimately the rule of death itself, the corruption and destruction of a good world made by the Creator. Death is the intrinsic result of sin, not simply an arbitrary punishment. But sin does not only reign in Cain's life, as we continue in verses 16 and on. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehiel, and Mehiel fathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwelt in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and his, he was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zelhel also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and of iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zelah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So here we, we have Cain's family living fully in submission to sin. Cain starts a city, and he could name it in something in honor of God, like, like the people who come after him when they, when they build altars and cities and name it about God. He could have named about God, the God who spared his life after taking his brothers, but no, sinful pride leads him to name his city after his own creation, his son Enoch. Then his great-grandson Lamech continues the family obsession with sin by taking 
two wives against God's design for marriage and also murdering somebody who simply wounded him and bragging in a song no less about his inability to show grace to anyone who, who offends him. Lamech has no thought of God and his standards. He is living by his own rules. And in this, we see sin is irreligion, living without any regard for God. Sin makes its own rules, justifies its own actions, never seeks to learn from the past, and sees no need for any thought other than itself. Joy and suffering in this life are meaningless happenstance. Again, the poet Wyman comments on this irreligion. Something is off. Life passes and we do not recognize it. Life streams through us like molecules we can't perceive and we miss the God who misses and longs for us. Thankfully, that is not the end of the story. God does miss and long for us. Let's go back to verses 25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So Seth becomes part of the promised offspring, the Messiah of Genesis 3 that would defeat evil. Sin was in Seth as well, but at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord, seeking to live by God's standards and not sin standards. So we have Cain and his line languishing and wallowing in sin, and then Seth and his line in sin, yet calling upon the name of the Lord. And through Seth's line comes the one, the Messiah, who can deal with what is wrong with the world, the sin. Luke tell, excuse me, Matthew tells us, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mattah, the son of Levi, and it goes on and on and on, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and the son of God. Now putting that with John's first letter, where, where we started, you know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. We see that Jesus came to show the world what it is like to live without sin, to never let sin rule in a human. In him there is no sin. In him the world can be free from sin. Jesus' life shows us the opposite question and answer to what is sin. Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, who shows what is righteousness. If we were to change the statement, we would say righteousness is accepting and acknowledging God in the world he created, working with him by living with reference to him, being and doing what he requires in the law, resulting in our eternal life and the flourishing of all creation. Jesus did all these things. Furthermore, it is good news that though we are sin, Jesus is our righteousness. In Corinthians, Paul writes, for our sake he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if you're feeling the knowledge of sin running over you right now, know this truth. Jesus lived the righteous life you could not live. In exchange your sin for his righteousness, Jesus is what is right with the world, with the world and you can be right in him for this world if you believe, which leads us to our last sin. The last sin statement, sin is unbelief. As one writer puts it, I often slip in and out of believing God's word about me and trusting his work in me. 
Jesus gave his life to make me a new creation. He died to forgive my sins and change my identity from sinner to saint, from failure to faithful, and from bad to good, and even righteous to holy. But I often forget what he has said about me. I forget what he has done for me. And sometimes it isn't forgetfulness. Sometimes it's just plain unbelief. So if you're already in Jesus, remember the last part of John's letter, and let it be our prayer today. If you'll pray with me. No one who abides in Jesus keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen the Messiah or known him. Little children, let let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as Jesus is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is done. It is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. May this be true in our lives today for the glory of God and a testament to the world. We believe in you, Jesus. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.